Welcome, everybody, to the Skill Development Playbook Podcast. I am your host, Coach TJ. Season 5, episode number 3. I have interviewed Jefferson Mason of Dr. Dish. Uh, This was a good one. Really good. Um, He gave some really good information. Um, He shared with us about his uh, playing days and how he transitioned from high school into college and how he transfer, how he transitioned from college into the pros and what that was like. Um, he shared with me his uh, skill development philosophy, the skills he think every player should have or should work on on a consistent basis. Uh, he shared with us uh, talking about success and what that looks like and how it looks different for every player. So just some really, really good information. I think y'all are going to enjoy this. We did go longer than than planned, but, you know, when you're having a, a great conversation, you know, that tends to go long. So we went for about an hour and 15 minutes, but I promise you, it's a good hour and 15 minutes. It's not going to put you to sleep. So this is a really good episode, really good podcast. Uh, y'all be sure to get out your pen and paper and, and notepads and be able to take some notes. Um, so this is the interview I did with Jefferson Mason of Dr. Dish. When the interview was over with, I will come back on and share some more information with you guys. Welcome, everybody, to the Skill Development Playbook Podcast. I am your host, Coach TJ, and we have a very, very special guest uh, on the show today, uh, Coach Jefferson Mason. Um, a lot of you guys have probably seen him with a lot of uh, Dr. Dish videos and, uh, and some different things of that nature. I'm really excited to have you on today. Can you, before we really get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your, your basketball history and, and, and your skill development journey? Well, yeah, uh, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I played uh, basketball here, born and raised. Uh, graduated in 2006 from Robinsdale Cooper High School. Uh, was then very fortunate to get a Division One scholarship to play basketball in the Big Sky at Northern Colorado. Uh, spent a couple years there playing under Tad Boyle um, and then actually transferred a little bit closer to home to be by family uh, to Minnesota State Mankato. I uh, played there for a solid two years. Um, in my senior year, we were a pretty good team. My junior year, actually, we were really good too as well. But my senior year, we went all the way to the Division II Final Four. Um, I was named All-American by three different outlets there. Uh, that year and uh, team was really good. Was very fortunate to play with uh, some good, good players and great coaches. Um, and, and because of that Final Four run, I think that really gave me the opportunity uh, to further my basketball career and, and play professionally. So, uh, following my my senior year at Minnesota State Mankato, um, I played five years professionally over in Europe um, and spending some time here in the states as well. Uh, stopped over there in, in my rookie year, played in Germany, uh, pro-A basketball there. Had a really good year. The following year, uh, worked out and uh, spent some preseason time with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, and then I was drafted in the G League by the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, went down to Frisco, Texas and played down there for a while and, and made my way back overseas after that, you know, making stops from Romania, Turkey, Luxembourg, uh, and then back in Germany and, and a few other places in between there. Mm-hmm. So. I uh, was very fortunate to, I, I, I think, personally play a little bit longer maybe than, than I should have. But, um, you know, my, my career took me all over the place. And, and now I, I kind of got into the, the basketball skill development side of things. So how long have you been doing the, uh, the skill development? So actually, I started doing skill development 
um, when I was playing professionally over in Europe. So uh, when I would come back during the summers, I was actually a director for the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx Youth Academy. Uh, so here in the Midwest and obviously in Minnesota, I would direct all of the youth camps that they had around the state. I'd also run all of their uh, NBA player and WNBA player camps as well. So guys like Zach Levine and, you know, uh, Lindsey Whalen, Simone Augustus, uh, I mean, I could go on and on, but I would help direct and lead their camps and the players would come in and work with the kids. And, you know, I organized all the coaches and kind of the structure of what we did. And I did that for, you know, a solid four or five summers uh, every year that I came back. And on top of that, I started obviously, you know, building a resume for myself on that side of things and, you know, started working with some high schools and, and some local players here, you know, doing some training. Also, other guys that were around my age um, that were also playing over in Europe, we started doing some training. And that's kind of when I got, um, you know, into the youth, I think the youth training and then just, you know, skill development in general. Okay. Okay. That's a, that's a great story, man. A lot of journey, um, you know, getting an opportunity to play overseas and then of course being able to, to give back and uh, be able to get into some, to some skill development. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, the first question I have for you, I ask everyone that comes on the show, you know, what is your definition of skill development and how important is it to the game of basketball? Well, I mean, I, honestly, I think that question constantly evolves, you know, every year as players continue to get more talented and there's more demands on each of them. Um, you know, for me, if you ask me what skill development was 10 years ago when I was playing, it would be a completely different answer than what it is now as more of a coach and more of a trainer. Uh, but, you know, currently as it sits right now, I think skill development um, is something that has been lost in the game and it's, it's starting to be a, a, a cool, popular thing now. And I think a lot of that is due to social media and, and trainers out there and people being more knowledgeable about the game. But um, to me, skill development is understanding the game at a higher level than the average person that would step out and use their athleticism um, or natural God-given talent. Um, to me, skill development is, is understanding who you are as a person on the basketball court understanding situations and then applying knowledge and skills that you get from either a coach or a trainer or, or any outlet online that you find knowledgeable and applying that in a game-like situation. Um, you know, for me, I've always focused on what I know as a player and I've tried to continue to add uh, my knowledge of the game by studying film, you know, at every level, the, the, the professional level, the high school, and even at the youth level as well. Because I, I believe there's things that you can, you know, learn at that level too. Um, but for me, it's, it's figuring out who the player is that you're working with and giving them the opportunity to develop themselves as a player and then also use those skills that best fit them in a game. Um, I personally think that a lot of, a lot of trainers and, and people will force skills uh, in certain drills and things on players to make them into something that maybe they're not capable of being. Uh, for me, personally, I have players that will come in. It doesn't matter if you're a third grader or if you're a professional player. I walk you through and, and have you do a whole bunch of different, um, you know, minor skill things so I can see where you're at athletically as a player. Obviously, you know, college guys and pro guys that come in, um, you see them on TV, you know what they can do. But young kids, when they come in, you don't really know what they bring to the table. My first thing is to diagnose what their strengths and weaknesses are and then also put together a plan for them to be the most successful, um, you know, during games in their off-season training, and then also, you know, 
uh, trying to paint that picture of where they want to be in the future as a player. Um, and so that's kind of how I focus and do my training. I think it's bits and pieces from, uh, you know, my own playing career in, in the strengths and weaknesses that I had, the struggles that I had, and then also um, just continually learning the game. I think I put all of it together in one. Yeah, so, you know, you actually hit on a little bit of the, of the next question I have talking about your philosophy. But a couple of things that I, that I take away, um, we have a, you know, a similar philosophy when we're talking about assessing where the player is at that particular moment. Every single player is different. Um, it's really difficult to do a cookie cutter type uh, skill development and putting everybody in one box, everybody on the same level. Um, so you have to assess where the players are, understand where they're trying to go or what their goal is or the objective is, and then put together a plan. And, and that's, been, that's been my story. That's why I've been trying to really, really stress so much to, to players because, and this is something that's we'll get into in a little bit, talking about the difference between working out and just and, and actually training and developing. Um, but we see it a lot now where, um, you know, players are all grouped into one. They're all trying to do the same thing. Yeah. And you have players on different levels. You have some players that just need to really dial it down, and you have some players that can kick it up a notch. I had probably about five years ago, I had a kid that was in sixth grade that was probably the most skilled sixth grader I'd ever worked with before. So if I had college kids, he could do anything I had those college kids do. Right. Um, but, you know, he was like the only one. So right. I could really push him, but the typical sixth grader, I couldn't have that typical sixth grader do what some high school and college kids are doing. So um, it's really important to understand the players you're working with, assess them, put together their plan, and then help them develop along the way. Um, so since you pretty much told me what, what your philosophy, now I'm assuming that is your, your yeah. philosophy. <laughs> so assuming uh, that you, so since you just told me what your philosophy is, let's get into what some skills that players really need. Um, again, I know this is generally speaking because everything is based on the player. Um, but in a general term, based on the players that you've seen and the kids that you've worked out, um, what do you think are some skills, let's say three to five skills that they need to be working on consistently? Yeah, well, I would start off by saying the first thing and foremost, just because this is where the game is going, is shooting. shooting. Yeah. Um, is shooting. I think shooting is. If you can become a great shooter, everything else will follow into place after that. One of the hardest things to teach is shooting, is to be a consistent shooter. You know, I, you don't really have to be overly athletic uh, to be able to shoot the basketball. You don't have to be overly uh, quick to shoot the basketball or tall or strong. You know, you can learn the mechanics to, to be a great shooter if you're open very well now everything that comes around shooting getting open you know creating separation in the one-on-one -on -one, all of that stuff follows but i think that a lot of skill trainers focus on everything before the actual final piece and that's the shot and now if you can shoot the basketball you don't have to be super quick to get past somebody because they have to respect you now if you're athletic and you're super quick, I mean, then, then you're unstoppable. But if you're just an average player with average athleticism and strength and you can shoot the basketball, you're going to find success. So the number one thing for me today with the way that the game is evolving with guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, 
you know, Kevin Durant being able to shoot the ball and extend the defense is shooting. You know, my, my me personally, when I was coming up, I was a tall, lean, slasher, athletic kid. You know, I could shoot the ball decently. But that was one of my main weaknesses, and that's part of the reason why I didn't really maybe maximize my full potential um, and I didn't go further in my basketball career is because I couldn't shoot as well as I should have. Um, so the number one thing would always be shooting for me. Um, outside of that, I mean, I could list off, you know, ball handling and this and that and so forth. But I really actually like to focus on um, understanding the game. So if you go to an AAU basketball game these days, you got kids that are running around and doing things at the wrong time in the wrong place, and you make it some boos and odds because they can dunk the basketball or they can cross a kid over or they can come down and shoot a crazy three and make it an unbelievable one-on-one play. But if you're actually really watching and understanding the game like a college coach would um, or whatnot, they see the weaknesses actually in all of that. Right. And so for me – I want to help players understand why they're doing certain things. I don't, I don't want to just teach them and say, go out and just figure out when you're going to do it or, you know, randomly do this move here and this point. Understand time and place in the game. Understand how to get your teammates involved. Understand how to win. Because at the end of the day, you know, high school coaches, college coaches, professional coaches, they want guys that can understand how to win. And to be able to win, you have to understand when and where to use your skills and your your you know, your athleticism and your abilities as a player. And so when I get in and I teach things, I give players a lot of different opportunities to see where they fit in the game. Like you mentioned before, players are not cookie cutter, right? They come in and and they can do different things on different levels. I like to help them understand that success looks like a million different things. Okay. So you may look at Steph Curry, you may look at LeBron James, you may look at Zion Williamson, and you may think that that's what success ultimately looks like. And it is success, but your success could look different than that as well. And that's what I think that people and players, parents and players don't really understand these days, is that success can look different, right? For me playing at the highest level, I understood that the player to the left of me and the right of me, even if I was the number one player on my team, was just as valuable. And their success and their knowledge of the game and how I worked off of them made me a better player or made my job on the court a lot easier, you know? And so I think a lot of players these days, you know, they focus so much on, on what they're seeing straight ahead and not understanding the game that they forget what it all is. So I think shooting is number one, you know, obviously everything follows suit after that, being able to, to ball handling, defense, you know, being able to get open, the basic skill fundamentals that follow. But if you can shoot the basketball and understand the game of basketball and then learn all the other pieces after that, you're going to have success at high school level for sure. I can almost guarantee you you'll have success at the collegiate level. And then once you talk about the professional level, that's, you know, you're going to have to get some strength and some athleticism and you're going to have to add all those pieces. But those things are easy to add because you either are naturally gifted with that or you can get in the weight room where you can work on that. Some of the other things you need to set that 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 first initial base and then kind of work from there. Yeah, with the way the game, like you were saying, just the way the game is played today, just about everybody on the floor has to be able to shoot the ball, at least be respectable, right. have a respectable, respectable shot. And I'm a shorter guy, you know, so I'm I didn't grow until my freshman year in, in college. So with me always being the shortest player on the floor, I had to be able to handle the ball and I had to be able to make shots. 
Um, but just like the other day, I was working with a kid. Uh, they needed some work on their shooting. And we were actually talking about shooting off the dribble. And I, and I told him, I said, look, we don't have to do all this combo, triple combo moves. Let's master the one dribble and two dribble pull up. Right. So once you master that one dribble and two dribble pull up going right and going left, what you do with the dribble is just to create space. Right. But, but ultimately, when you create that space, a lot of times a player takes a one dribble pull up. So that's the shot that you have to master. So when we were looking at that, we started with his mechanics. So I let him understand before we can get to that, yeah. <laughs> you have to make sure you have your mechanics right. So you got right. too much of your left hand involved with the ball. So I, so I think a lot of times we see coaches, like you say, kind of skipping steps. Yes, They're wanting to hurry up and get to the James Harden step back, you know, jump shot. They want to get to the, uh, the Kobe Bryant, you know, shoulder shake, you know, yeah. pump fake, you know, all that different types of, and that's cool, but there are certain things I feel like that they have to do first and get a good grasp and understanding of so they can really excel at that right. next level. And then just like you said with the uh, basketball IQ, you know, you have to know the game. Um, right. I'm a point guard, so when I work with point guards, I just, I get excited because that's the position I play. But understanding time to score, understanding your role, and all these different things play a big part in that in that uh, skill development. Definitely. So now let's move on to talking about the difference between an actual workout and actual training or development. And one thing that I've been really trying to get parents and coaches and players to understand, it's okay to have a workout. Um, you're going to get better. And what I consider a workout is just a player that goes to the gym. They don't have any direction. They don't have any plan. They don't have any objective. They wake up that day and say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to get better. Um, but I'm going to work on my shooting. Uh, and then once they get to the gym, they decide what they're going to do. Yeah. Versus a player that's actually going to train and develop. And they say, okay, I need to, to specifically work on my pull-up jump shot or I need to specifically work on finishing with my left hand. And they come up with a plan that help them improve in those areas. So I just want to kind of get your thoughts on the difference between players that actually work out and the players that actually develop a plan. Right. Yeah. So to me, I think it's, uh, I, I have this conversation with trainers, uh, parents, coaches all the time. And I'm very, very happy that you broke it down that way because that's the way that I would break it down myself. I think it's really simple. When you go to a gym and you work out and as a player yourself, you, you know this, you typically do the things naturally as a player without direction that you're strong at. Okay, so when I used to go to the gym and play two-on-two, three-on-three with my buddies, or I used to go in the gym and I used to work on my skills, typically I did the things that I knew how to do and I was already good at doing. I was sharpening those skills that I was always great at. The things that I was bad at when I was just in the gym on my own, I may do a few times, but I may get discouraged. Or if I'm playing a two-on-two or three-on-three and I'm working on my friends, I won't do that because I'm competing. I want to I wanna win and I'm not going to do things that I'm not comfortable with if I'm trying to win, right? And so I think that when you go work out, you're not as focused on the things that you need to get better at. And you're not dialing in on the intricacies of each skill and what you're working on. One, because you either don't have the knowledge or two, you don't have the direction. And so 
when you look at the other part of it, the skill development, when you put a plan for it, you give the player a blueprint on where they're at and where they need to go. And so you're, you're, you're talking to them about, here are some of your strengths, and this is how we're going to make and sharpen those. But here are also your weaknesses that during this moment in time, you need to work on. I always tell all the players that come in when they work it, work out for me. I'm not your coach, okay? I'm not your parent. I'm not your evaluator, okay? So I don't really care if you make mistakes. I'm going to help correct those mistakes, and I'm going to help get you over those mistakes. But I'm not here evaluating you. I'm not going to put you on an A team or a B team or a varsity team. I want to see what you're weak at so that we can get better. I want to see your progress through that. I want to see what your Ross version so that I can get you to a point where you look good in any situation. And so I think that that gets lost between the workout and skill development because players in any other situation, when they're playing games, when they're playing with their friends, typically they want to win. They want to compete if they're a competitor. And they're going to do the things that they're best at. You know, um, if, if you go into a skill development where you, you have a plan for on today we're going to work on this, this, and this. And our goal is to master this like you talked about this initial baseline step before we get into everything else, this is where we're going to go. And I promise you, if you can get through each one of these steps, whether that's ball handling, shooting, I'm going to get you at least, you know, the opportunity to work on some of these James Harden moves or whatnot, if you want to incorporate that game. But what you may find is this, if we work on these one dribble pull-ups and you get really good and you start doing this in two on two, three on three, five on five, and it works for you, you may not need to do all that other stuff. Because I can, I can, I can name, you know, 15 players in the NBA that don't do that. Okay, so James Harden, he's super flashy. But look at a guy like uh, Clay Thompson, you know. Not that he does not have that in his bag. He probably does. But he's okay with the one dribble pull-up. He's okay coming off the screen shooting a shot. He's okay taking two dribbles straight line and dunking the basketball at the hoop if it's open. He's mastered the game at a fundamental level, and he's super, super successful doing it. All right. And so that's why I say success can look like a million different things. Yeah. People will always focus on what seems the coolest or make it the most loose nods. But to me, if you can drop 30, 40 points in a quarter, you're pretty darn good. Right. Yeah. And a lot of players probably favor him as a player more so than James Harden, you know. And so, you know, for me, once again, it's the understanding of one or the other and saying, Okay, we're going to get to wherever you want to go, or we're going to give you the opportunity to get there. But along that journey, you might find out that this is actually where I feel comfortable, or this actually works the best for me. And and you'll find your most success in that as you continue to grow as a basketball player. Yeah, one thing that I also try to get players to understand when you're talking about working out, there's usually not a lot of feedback. You right. Know? So even if a coach is putting a group of players through um, a workout, a quote-unquote workout, there's typically not a lot of a lot of feedback. And I could go home, and that's like my pet peeve. I could go on and on because then you get into directions, giving directions versus instruction and teaching and all these different things. So I'm, I'm real passionate about that. But uh, if a player is by himself, he can still give get feedback from himself. Right. And very easily tracking his shots. You know, uh, I'm going to shoot 10 shots on the right wing. How many do I make out of 10? Right. Um, you know, off the dribble going left, how many do I make out of 10? Or how many shots do it take for me to make 10? And then right. over time, you have this, this journal of information that you can, that you can look at and you can see right. how you are improving or what areas you need to improve in. Um, but if you have a plan or if you're working with a coach and they have a plan, 
they'll right. give you that instant feedback and tell you what you need to continue to do and improve on. So right. feedback is something that's, that's very, very important. Um, so let's talk about how you plan and prepare um, at, from, a, from a coaching standpoint. Um, how do you kind of plan and prepare for when your, your training sessions with players and then talk about how you used to plan and prepare for your training sessions when you were a player? So, um, you know, I'll start with my myself when I was a player because it's pretty lackluster, to be honest with you. Um, you know, when I was young and coming up, there, there really wasn't any trainers. You know, there wasn't really YouTube or anything, social media. Uh, you know, you couldn't really Google stuff. So for me, I literally, what I saw from, you know, the old timers in, in the city where I played outside or, you know, my older brother or uncle or even my dad would, you know, before he passed away, what he would tell me. I mean, those those are the things that, you know, I listened to and I tried to work on it. And for me, I, I did a lot of playing and enjoying and loving the game um, when I was younger. When I got older, um, you know, more so outside of high school and into college, and, and I realized that, man, you can get a resume going here as far as, like, strength and conditioning and agility and you know skills work and tracking you know you're shooting like you mentioned that's when I really got into like actually trying to get better as a player and that's where I made my biggest strides as a player um, so for me you know when I would come back from college it was very similar as when I was a professional player as well I would always talk with my coaches um, and I would say hey give me the most honest brutal feedback that you can um, you know as a coach for me as a player what are the things that I did well, you know, this year or during the season or at my best? And what are the things that um, individually I did, you know, that I could have been better at? And then also as just a team player. Um, and that feedback sometimes was, was really hard for me to hear or to read because it was looking at all your flaws. But what I would then do is go back in the summer and figure out a path and a plan to become better at those things that, um, you know, my coaches felt I had flaws in. Because uh, I always knew that at the end of the day, um, you know, I could look at myself and watch film and I could always give excuse or reason for why I didn't do something or I wasn't good at something. Uh, but your coach's feedback from their perspective is completely different and they'll be honest, uh, brutally honest at times. And, and I asked for that. So it really helped me dial in on the things that I actually needed to work on, not what I thought I needed to work on. And I would get into the gym and I would get with my other buddies that. Uh, were you know former professional players or professional players themselves, and we would work on different things and try to figure it out ourselves. Um, so that's kind of how I went about it. You know, when I was playing, uh, I wish I would have did more. I wish I would have been more exact, and I wish I could talk to myself six years ago. You know, five years ago when I played, because I would tell myself a million other things and I would do things differently. But um, I think that's all part of the journey, and, and that's why, you know, I found some success at, at training now. As far as players go, um, a lot of it depends on the level and who they are. So if I have a random kid that, you know, will reach out and they're a youth player, you know, anywhere between fourth to maybe ninth grade, um, and they're fairly skilled, you know, but they want to learn the game of basketball, I always have them come in. Before um, they do come in, I always ask their parent, and, and, and also the kid, the same thing. I always ask them, what do they believe their strengths and their weaknesses are? Um, what are some of the things that they want to get better at? And then also, what is the type of player that they hope to be? Um, and you'll get different responses from the parents than you do the players. And part of that is, 
also talking through that with the parent because the parent will have expectations, the player will have expectations. So I get that out of the way. I also, like I said, I also like to ask the player who they want to be because oftentimes you'll find that a player may only want to be something, um, you know, they may want to be something different than even what you have as a player. So naturally, um, sometimes parents don't like to hear this, but naturally as a trainer, you're telling a kid, you know, you have the opportunity to, to be a varsity basketball player or a Division One scholarship player or a professional basketball player. And you'll, you'll find it kind of uh, strange that a lot of players actually, you know, they just maybe want to play high school basketball or they may want to play college basketball. And for them, success looks different. And so when they come and they say, you know what, coach, I don't know what it looks like for me in the next two, three years. But right now, I just really, I would really like to make the sophomore team or the JV team or I would really like to be a good shooter and help my team out. And understanding that that's where they currently want to be doesn't mean that we can't get them to be something better than that. It's just this is what the standard is for them right now. This is how we're going to build out the plan to get you to, to where you want to be as quickly as possible. And then, you know what, we might surprise you and show you that you can become a better player outside of that. And usually when you go about it that way and you let the parent or the kid drive it on that side of things, you know, that's a, that's a completely different part. If you allow them to drive it on that side, then you'll understand that the expectations when met, you know, they'll be happy as a player. And then when you exceed them, you know, they'll start to look at themselves completely different in the game of basketball as well. When you tell a kid, hey, you're going to, I can make you into a varsity basketball player or a division one guy or NBA guy right off the bat, if they don't see those successes right away, a lot of kids will drop off. A lot of kids will stop training. A lot of kids will stop playing because they, they feel like, you know what, I can never get there. I'm not going to be good enough. But if you allow them to be truthful and honest with themselves about what they want, and then also the parents too, you can come to a happy medium and work towards that. It gives you a little bit more time as a trainer to work on the basic fundamentals because then they're not going to be wanting to hope to do the, the triple high fake shimmy pop progression. You know, they're going to want to work on the, the earlier stuff. And don't get me wrong. I got players that come in that are super skilled that I do work on double moves, triple moves. I work on very, very intricate strategic stuff because they're at that level, but literally 95% of kids are not there. So, it's all about helping them understand that. So I, I get those expectations and those conversations out of the way. And then the parent, obviously, and the player knows that I'm really there to help them, right? I understand who they are as a player, where they want to go. And then from there, we build our plan. What are we going to work on in week one? What are we going to focus on in week two? What goals are we going to achieve? And that's why I love, you know, with Dr. Dish here, with our shooting machines, I can set different goals for players and say, until we achieve this goal or we reach this goal, we're going to keep working on this 90% of the time. And then once we reach that goal, we're going to add this wrinkle to it. Or we're going to add this piece to it. And then you're going to hit another goal. And so then the player knows that like, hey, I'm not going to come in every single training session and learn 15 random things right. that I'm not going to remember. Right. Right. I watch so many training sessions. I'm like, what are you, what, what, what is the point? Like, there's, no rhyme or, there's no rhyme or reason. What are yeah. we working on? There's no progression of anything. There's no we're doing this and then this and then this and then this and it's like but you need to know how to do that before you do that you need to know how to do that before you do that but we're skipping around there's no rhyme or reason because it's just a money grab for a lot of people for me it's like i actually want these players to be good basketball players and i think that training kids at the youth level is one of the hardest things to do and i also think it's more, more, more gratifying things that you could do as well because 
if I train a kid from fourth grade until his senior year in high school, and he's a number one player in high school, and then an NBA trainer or somebody else may may get a hold of him and find critique here or there. I already did all the, the heavy I lifting, did I did the hard yeah. work. I, I helped oh make goodness. that player who they were. You're just adding the cherry on top, which is fine. But I think the hardest part had already been done. And so for me, the challenge of that and understanding the player and, and who they are, where they can be without seeing it initially. It's easy to go get, um, you know, an NBA player and say, I, I know what you could be because you can already see who they are as a player. You're just adding the cherry on the top. When yeah. you have a kid that comes in and, and their their knees are knocked and, and they don't look like they can run, they can barely catch the basketball, and you're like, does this kid have a chance? Those are the ones that you're going to find the most gratification in. And, and that doesn't mean they may be an NBA player. Maybe them just making varsity is is seems astronomical. But if you can get them there, those are the kids that are like, coach, thank you so much for putting the time and effort in. I would have never even thought I played ninth grade basketball and I made it on the varsity team. Or I would have never thought that I could shoot a three-point jump shot. But with all the work that we put in, I've gotten stronger. I've learned the fundamentals. And now I can do that. Like, success is at – is different on every single level. And if you understand that you're not going to make an NBA or WNBA player out of every single person, then you'll understand that and you'll enjoy the process and you'll do things the right way. Man, I have a kid right now that I've been working with, never played basketball before. He's in ninth grade, 6'3", maybe 6'4". Um, doesn't have a whole lot of coordination. And when he first started shooting, he was literally throwing the basketball at the basket with one hand. And um, he knows, he's like, you know, coach, I know I'm behind. I know these other kids are way ahead of me. And right. coach pretty much got him on the team because, you know, because he's 6'3". Um, but, you know, I told him, I said, man, we just, we're just going to take him one little bit at a time. You right. know, you got to learn one thing. And then we, once you learn one, we, we learn two. And he just learned after about six weeks because we, his coordination is yeah. really bad. But he just was able to get the basketball, raise it up, and shoot and have a decent follow through. Right. And so I, I show, you know, I typically record a player the first time I work with them, especially yeah. when I do shooting, so they can see the progression. And I said, man, I can't believe I didn't record you the first day because he literally was throwing the ball at right. the basket. But when I did record the, his new shot and showed it to him, he was like, man, that's. It's a big difference. I'm like, yeah, you know, we just we just want to just take it slow and, and continue to progress. Um, but one thing that you mentioned for the players when you were talking about talking to their coach, that to me is huge for players to understand what they need to do. That's getting that assessment, and then that's also getting their destination. I like I I, <laughs> I use analogy. This ain't the best analogy, but you know, just like if you're going on a on a trip. You know, if you're going to travel, for, if I'm traveling from Arkansas to New York, you know, I got to have a plan of what I'm going to do to get there. And, right. and before I can get it, type it in my GPS, I got to know where I'm at. Right. So the players have to know where they are and then they can figure out where they're wanting to go and then put together that plan. Um, but I had a young lady that ended up playing Division One basketball. She had, when we first started, she had no clue. A mom didn't know. Like, yeah. she goes to a real small school. She wants to play in college. Mom said she's the best thing at the school, but 
we're a small 1A, 1A classification. I think like their senior class had like 20 people or 25 people. So they tell you how small it is. But I told mom, I was like, your daughter is 5'10 in the ninth grade and plays point guard. Right. She's going to get an opportunity, but it's going to depend on how much she developed. And, and she did, and she got the opportunity and was able to play. But um, I didn't tell her that she was going to be a Division One player. But I said, let's just work on her game and, and see how far along she can go. Right. So we set that expectation, and, and, and we worked, and, and she did. She did all the work. And, uh, you know, she, and she graduated this past year from the University of Arkansas. So, you know, that's all right. Um, next thing I want to talk about, um, skill development to me is one of five areas when we're talking about making a complete player. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about basketball players, just think about skill development, but we also have film study, right. learning the game, the IQ, sports performance, and, and nutrition. And I just want to get your thoughts on, on those um, and how a player can – can look at these other areas to help make them a complete player. So just starting with film study, you know, studying film, how important is it for a player to be able to study film? Oh, I mean, film study to me is, is, is where you hit the goal line. Um, I always, when I played high school basketball, I think maybe we literally watched film two times and it's a different day and age because they watch film in high school shoot they they watch film in middle school and AAU basketball now it's it's insane good well, thing though, it's crazy um but i never i never did that in in high school so uh naturally from my point of view when i played and from my parents and people that were fans i was the best player ever i could have i could have went and played nba basketball out of high school right i, I didn't see the game from a bird's eye view i didn't understand you know, my opportunities within the game. I didn't know the game. I didn't even know myself as a player because I only had one point of view and that was what I was seeing out of my two eyes. And so when I went to college and, you know, my coach was like, hey, uh, you know, Jefferson, I'm seeing a few things and some tendencies out of you. Typically you do this when this happens or you don't do this, when you should do this. And I always used to sit back and think, like, damn, my, my college coach just absolutely hates me. He's just on me all the time about, all these things like I was in high school I didn't make any mistakes or anything like that and he would always be like you know we're going to watch film today as a team and we're going to see one or two different things but I would love for you to come watch film with me one-on-one and I can show you every single thing that I'm talking about and for you know the initial first part of my freshman season I didn't take advantage of that um, and go out of my way to do it because I think part of it was that I didn't want to be real with myself or I didn't want to realize that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And when I went and watched that film, it was an eye opener because I looked at myself and said, wow, that's not actually the player that I think I am and or that I want to be. And it had nothing to do with numbers or anything like that. It was just like, I didn't know that that's the way that I look playing basketball in general, right? You know, outside of highlights, highlights, everybody looks good. Everybody looks like an NBA player with highlights. When you watch the regular film, you're like, oh, my goodness. And so film allowed me to understand the game in totality. It really, it really took me out of, like, what I saw trying to score the basketball on offense or what my man on defense, just my guy, was doing. It, it allowed me to see everything from a bird's eye view. Offensively, what are my teammates doing? Right? How can I make it easier on them to score the basketball? Or what can I do outside of when I have the basketball 
to make myself a better offensive player. It allowed me to understand the game at a completely different level. And because of that, I honestly accredit a lot of that to my ability to have success in college and then also professionally. Because what it allowed me to do is understand how I could fit in in any system. So I learned that if I had the choice, if I was ever an NBA free agent and I wanted to go to a team, this is my skill set. This is where I would probably flourish the best. But because I'm not an NBA free agent, I'm not Kobe Bryant, I'm not LeBron James, I'm going to go play for a college coach that wants me or a professional team that wants me. And I got to be able to fit within their system um, and then also show who I am as a player. And because I understood the game and my IQ was high, I was able to adjust to my teammates, to my coaches. And so only way I was able to do that was film, watching games, watching practice, watching how the coach coaches former teams, how my coach did prior to that. It gave me knowledge that I didn't have. And it also forced me to be real with myself. And in these days with social media and the way kids are hyped and parents and, and all that type of stuff, being real, uh, you know, and facing adversity is something that a lot of these kids have no idea what it's all about. And so film is the, the first part of that, I think. You know, because I know we're going to get into talking about basketball IQ, but that some of that IQ is built from that, from yes. going back and looking at looking at film. Uh, players have to understand how to actually watch film. Right. Uh, you say a lot of times it's about me and the highlights and the crossovers or the dunks or, you know, the three ball and, and things like that. But we have to understand what it is that we're trying to do. How did I get my shot off? How, why was my teammate open? What was the defense trying to right. do? What were they trying to take away from me? Um, what weaknesses does, does this defense have? And even personnel, players specifically, right. know, what are their tendencies and what are ways that I can score or what ways I can be, a, be effective and aggressive and get my teammates involved? So by doing that, that, that heightens our IQ. Um, right. So what are some other ways that, that players' IQ can improve outside of, of, of the film study? Is there anything that you do particularly in your, in your training sessions to help their IQ? Yeah, definitely. So what, what I do um, with a particular skill, so say we're working off of ball screens, and I think a lot of, a lot of trainers or coaches do this naturally or organically just because they think that that's the way that you do it. Some don't. But what I like to do is I like to give multiple options uh, of whatever I'm doing, right? So I can say, this is what your defender may or may not do. We're going to work on this and have you go through it rep by rep by rep, right? And so you'll get it in your head that, okay, this is an option. This is what may happen come game time. I'm working on that habitually. I have it so that it's a natural thing. And then I might say, okay, here's a second look that you might get and you work on it habitually. And then here's maybe a third possible look that you might get in the game, a situation. So at any moment in time, you could do A, B, or C, right? But I think the part that people forget um, as far as the next step is actually making it game-like or live. Or they skip and go the opposite way around. So what I like to do is I like to say, okay, potentially, and this isn't the only three or four options that you may see, but potentially a defender, your primary or secondary defender might do these things. Right. And we're going to go through all these different options. So you have an idea of the different looks of different things you can do. Now, after we've talked about it, you understand it. I'm going to come play defense on you or me and 
you know, X defenders are going to come play defense and we're going to just go random on you. And we're going to force you to make a decision game time. Right. And so I think that piece is forgotten. And, and now we're teaching skills, but we're not teaching them how to be applied. And that comes with the IQ piece of it is I got to teach you, you know, why you're doing something. But I also have to paint a picture of when you're going to use it. You know, you can go around chairs all day and build habitual things that you might see that one situation and be great at it. But you're all the game of basketball is chaotic. It's going to change all the time. So you never know where you're going to be at. And so for us to do situational things where a defender might pop out here and here, here oftentimes you'll have players say, well, we didn't work on that. Or I didn't know he was going to do that. And I'm like, exactly. That's why we're doing it. That's why we're doing it. Like, so you can learn. And that might be option five or six that you, that we didn't even talk about, but it allows them to learn and understand why they're doing it while also making it game like as well. So that when they come to the game, when they, when they come to the game and they got to make that decision, you know, split second decision, or they have to see what's happening before it actually happens, they feel more comfortable in that. And I think that that comes with time. It, it, when the game slows down and you get comfortable with your skills, but that's where the IQ really starts to come into play. And then you see some of these guys at the highest level, you know, point guards at the collegiate level, even in high school now, but in the NBA, and you're like, how did they do that? Or how did they know that that defender was going to do that or that guy was there? It's because of the film study. It's because of the situational things. It's because their IQ is so high and they understand that I can go and trust this play that my coach puts forth. And whatever the defender does, I know that I'll have an option to make a play, whether that's for myself, whether that's for my teammate, doesn't matter who. I'm going to be able to make something out of it because my skill set and my knowledge, my IQ allows me to do that. Yeah, I, I know that the decision making is is uh, is huge when it comes to basketball. Everything that we do, uh, it comes down to some type of decision that we have to make. Um, do I shoot it? Do I pass it? Do I drive it? Do I pull it out? Um, you know, all these different things. And, and having the practice on the court in our training sessions, having some film study, um, and getting some experiences in games can only over time heighten our, our IQ. 100%. So let me ask you this real quick. So talking about the IQ, when do you know do you do a lot of individual or or group sessions? So I prefer myself to do uh individual. So I think for a lot of trainers um, that train, and that's kind of how they make their living, it isn't a side thing or it isn't something they do just because they enjoy it. I think that the group setting obviously monetarily is is the best route for them sometimes because if you're in a situation where you have to pay bills or it's your, your income source, then I understand it, you'll make more money with group. But for me, I'm not really in that situation, so I have an opportunity uh, and I want to to focus more on the one-on-one -on -one situation. I think that both are good because you can work on, on different things, but what I figured out is that when people come to training typically, they want to work on their own individual skill, right? They don't want to go into, most of the time, they don't want to go into a group of two, three, four players um, and try to work on their individual skill because that, that forces people to do other things than just work on their own individual skill, even though defense and screening and rebounding or 
taking turns going through thing is still learning. They don't see it for that because everybody wants to focus on just offense and skill development. So for me, um, you know, taking that whole piece away sometimes makes it easier for me to focus on the player one-on-one. So I do do both, uh, but because I don't think that I, I, I necessarily um, need to get large group of players in, I really like to take young, raw players and really navigate and mold them into, you know, the players that they want to be. And then once they get to a certain level, what I love to do then is, is I like to get small groups going two, three, four players of guys that uh, I feel that maybe are their level a little bit higher so they can compete and see where they land. Um, and that's a whole completely different other field. But as far as just skill development, you know, on the offensive end for an individual player, typically the one-on-one I think is, is where they'll get the most you know, the most direct knowledge before you move and come to that two, three, four player setting. So uh, let me ask you this real quick, and then we'll, we'll keep it moving. So if a, if a parent is listening and they say, okay, well, I need to do a better job, or even a, a, a coach, if I need to do a better job, it's, you know, I, it's usually me and my son or me and my daughter of incorporating some uh, decision-making or improving their IQ. Uh, since you prefer to do individual sessions, um, how do you improve their their IQ when it's just you and that and that one particular player? Well, for me, I'm I'm very fortunate to um, you know work for Dr. Dish Basketball. We have our shooting machines, um, and so for me, a lot of the stuff that I do, I can be a teacher and also I can be a defender as well. Um, and with my offensive player, I don't have to worry about making passes. I don't have to worry about rebounding in basketball. Uh, so for me, I think I'm in a unique situation where a lot of trainers are evolving into adding training equipment, whether that's shooting machines or not. But for me, it gives me the opportunity to say, okay, hey, I can be an extra offensive player. I can be a defender. I can set up things that simulate um, decision-making for you just as an individual player. And so then what I do is I, I literally will go with the most simplistic decisions for young players that they'll make in a game and you'd be surprised at how much they struggle so one drill that i always do is um i'll have offensive player on the top of the key i'll have maybe uh, a coach or a parent or you know um, another source or a player or a look in a corner and then a defender myself whoever in the middle and i'll literally will tell the player in a game you're going to have opportunity to go past your defender or just drive straight to the hoop all right, now here's one of the, the, the most simple decisions that a player has to make that they mess up on all the time. And it's just, do I shoot or do I pass, right? <laughs> pick up my ball, do I retreat dribble, what do I do? And what you'll find is a lot of kids, they'll dribble drive and if a defender fakes at them, they'll pick it up and they'll jump in the air or if they dribble dive in and a player comes up and commits to them, they'll take a tough contested shot. And just basic, simple decision-making things that they just are not comfortable with or they just don't know what to do. And so I let a player go through stuff like that two, three, four times, and I'll say, well, what do you think you should have done there? And every single time, usually they'll answer, I probably should have shot. I probably should have passed. I probably should have never left my feet. I probably should have kept my dribble. And just by working on simple things like that initially in the one-on-one setting or the two-on-one setting or whatever it is, you can work on basic fundamental decision-making. And so when you take and you can make basic fundamental decision-making on that level, you can progress to some of the things that are a little bit more difficult because they all basically funnel to the same thing, right? Do I shoot? Do I pass? 
you know, or do I keep my dribble alive? Or what, what, what do I, if you really can only do those different things on offense. It's just a matter of what you add in there with you. Do I extend my dribble? Do I look at the second line defender? Do I, you know, slice his screen? Do I retreat dribble back out? Do I delay here? What, do I look opposite on this? Like, all it is is just understanding the pieces that get added to those core main decision-making things. And if you can't make a basic decision on, like, should I shoot or not, then you don't know what to do. You do a fast break drill and have kids go two-on-one, 75% of kids, even up till ninth grade, make the wrong decision. They don't know how to run wide. They don't know to take the layup and go hard. They don't know how to pass it, when to pass it. I mean, this is the most basic simple, you know, decision-making that you can do. I mean, when you get to college at the ABA, it's got to be 99% of the time you score on a 2 one But these high school kids don't know it because they're not learning the basic things right there. They're just relying on maybe their own athleticism or whatever they thought it is. So I can do it in a one-on-one setting because I'm blessed I have a shooting machine. And, you know, I may have the help of a parent or it just may be one-on-one. But I start very simple. And then obviously – when you progress to more things with screen and roll or you need two or three more players, then you get into that situational stuff where you'll, you know, you'll paint that picture for them with more players or whatever you can do. But I always like to start with the basics before I always go and make it more difficult for the player. So all you parents out there, if you need to improve your kids' uh, uh, decision-making, Jefferson may not want to say it, but you probably need to get you a doctor dish. <laughs> get yourself a doctor. You know what? And, and, and here's the thing. I'll, I'll tell you what. Part of the reason why I started working for this company um, and doing what I'm doing on the, on the skill development side and, and the drills and the skills and working with the college and professionals is because I believe in what we're doing here as far as teaching valuable you know, knowledge around the game, whether that's with skills and drills or whether that's emotionally, motivationally, inspirationally, um, you know, and then also taking that and saying, okay, well, you may be doing all of the correct things as a trainer, as a parent, as a coach, but what we want to do is we want to help enhance what you're doing. And with the shooting machine, what if you have two people, it's like a third person or a fourth person. If you have three, it's like a fourth or a fifth. It can rebound, it can pass, it can track stats, it can hold the players accountable. And those are all pieces that we've talked about here today. Right. And you can get that easily with the shooting machine and it can help expedite and take the player to the next level. I know kids that will get in with a trainer and there's nothing wrong with it, but they'll get in with a trainer and they'll go through all this stuff. And if you literally count the amount of shots they actually take or actually attempt, sometimes it's in the 200 range, three in an hour, because there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of movement. When you have a shooting machine, whether that's before or after the session or in between, you're going to be able to get a lot more rest because there's not a lot of moving pieces. And so that allows a player to get double, triple the amount of reps they have in between and expedite their skill development. Doesn't mean that if you don't have it, that you're not going to get there. It just requires, you know, the trainer to be efficient. And it also requires the player to do a lot of work outside of that session, which they should do no matter what. But just within that one session with that coach, whether it's an hour, hour and a half, two hours, you're going to be able to, expedite those skill development or be able to see the intricacies that you want to faster because you're getting more reps up, you know, throughout the entire workout. Yeah, I've, I've always been very intrigued by it. I've, I've used it a couple of times before. I don't personally have one myself, um, but, but I, I can see the, if you really know how to use it and, and you really put your time in, in, in using it and making it a priority, I know it could be a, a, a great asset.
So real quick, let's finish up on these last two. Let's talk about uh, sports performance and nutrition. Players being able to take care of their body. I know uh, we live in this microwave generation where we want things done quickly. So kids are quick to to go to McDonald's and and get something and you know and and swallow down a a, a coke. Just kind of talk about from from a, a player perspective. Uh, with you being an ex-professional, how important it was for you to take care of your body with the with your diet, and then making sure that that you are in shape and that you have the strength to be able to handle the physicality of the game of basketball. Right. I think this is another another great um, piece of the game, and I'm so glad that you brought it up. You know, when you get to be our age um, and you feel what your body feels like after playing basketball for for so many years, you really really start to respect. Guys like Kobe Bryant, you know, who are able to play 20 plus years, 82 games a year, you know, in the NBA, you realize how much time, effort and energy they must have put into their bodies to be able to do that. You know, I'm going on 32 years old, still work out. I still play. I'm in the gym training. Um, and even then, my body has, you know, faltered here or there. Now, I never had any major injuries. I was blessed with that. But I didn't do always the things at a young age that I should have to build my body up to be prepared for high school, college, and professional. And I was one of those kids that, you know, we had an AU tournament. I'd go get a hot dog and a bag of hot Cheetos and, and a Snickers and a Coke, and we're ready to rock and roll. And, you know, when you're a kid um, and you're running around and you don't know any better and you got your, your joints are still loose and all that type of stuff, you don't really the know right then and there. Um, but with studies and what they're finding, too, is that kids actually can take their game to the next level, even at that age, by eating correctly. Not only the main point is, is that all that stuff that you do when you're young and in high school, it breaks down your body or it doesn't allow you to get to where you should be at the varsity level or collegiate level or professional level. All that stuff will catch up to you. Right. And so nutritionally, you know, I didn't start really getting into nutrition until I was in uh, college. I, I graduated high school. You know, 6'4", 165 pounds soaking wet, maybe, right? I was thin. I was super thin and tall. I grew an inch and a half in college, but I got on a nutrition plan there because they, they forced us on it, basically. Um, and I gained 15 to 20 pounds of really good muscle and strength uh, with that as well. But what that did is it completely changed my game. It allowed me to do things that I never was able to do before and made me feel more healthy. I had more energy. I was wide awake, I, I could do my studies, you know, because I was eating, I was eating healthy, I was eating the things that I needed to, you know, to fuel my body every single day. And I was understanding that, you know, if I was lacking in this area of strength or whatnot, if I, you know, countered that with the type of foods that I was eating, especially when I got to the professional level, um, that I was going to have some success. And then I really started to realize, like, you know, after a game or after a practice, if I went and got some fast food and ate, how I felt the next day versus if I had a really good meal and I prepared or earlier in that week, if I was feeding my body and fueling my body, that that health was staying there. I was preventing injuries, you know, on that level nutritionally. And that was big. And then to, to your other point, you know, with the strength and conditioning these days, you know, kids are jumping higher and higher and higher, man. I don't even, look, I could do a 180, I think uh, when I was a senior in high school and it was like, People were going crazy, you know. Not, I didn't really dunk until my senior year. I mean, people come game Jefferson and my buddy Jermaine. We're dunking, doing tomahawks, you know, alley about the backboard here and there. It was crazy. 
Now what these kids are doing is just absurd, right? But the problem with it is this, is because of nutrition as well, they're not eating well, and then also them not training their bodies on the physical side the correct way, they're, um, they're creating future problems that they don't know of. And I personally, and this is just me, okay, this is just me, I personally think that that's why kids in high school now and in college and the NBA are tearing ACLs, hips, and whatnot so much more is because they're not properly preparing their body, you know, like they should. Kids are training on how to jump 45 inches in the air, but they're also not training how to land, okay? They're not working their hips. One of the things that hurts me the most these days are my hips, right? My flexibility in certain ways is terrible, but guess what? I could go out to the gym right now and still jump 38, my vertical 38, 40 inches. You do a windmill, whatever you want, okay? But then if you tell me to, to you know do a lunge or do something in a certain way my hips are terrible i can't i can't move in certain ways because i didn't work on those muscles that i didn't think would help you know with the things that i needed i wanted to be quick and jump yeah. up and down and do the things basketball wise but all of that comes together and you don't start to feel that stuff until you get older right or until a major injury happens where you tear something or whatnot and so the way that kids are training Way more than what we used to back in the day. Way more. Kids are playing all year. They're, they're training all year. You got to eat healthy, okay? You have to be able to, to, to focus on your body. That, not, now, that doesn't mean that you got to put on a million pounds and you got to gain 25 pounds and, and do all this type of stuff, but keeping your body strong and healthy for who you are as an athlete is extremely important. If you want to have success in high school, and then for sure, if you want to be successful or be healthy in college or professionally as well. Yeah, see, when I graduated high school, I was 5'7", 132 pounds, soaking wet, with boots on okay. and rocks in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, like I said, I didn't grow until, you know, my freshman year in, in college. And I'm not real tall now. I'm 5'11 and a half, maybe six foot. Yeah. Um, so. But when I graduated college, I was about 175. So my dad had been telling me over and over again, son, you need to do push-ups. Son, you need to go to the gym. Yeah. You need to lift weights. I didn't want to do none of that. And so it wasn't until about my senior year, I kind of started a little bit getting more serious about trying to lift weights. And uh, my freshman year, when I, my dad was like, okay, you know, and I went to a junior college for two years. So he told me, he said, look, you're going to get pushed around. You're right. not, you, you know, you got to be quicker. You got to be faster. You got to be stronger. You know, you're not going to play with six, five post players anymore. You're going to be playing against six, five wing men, wing players, right. six, eight, six, nine post players. So you got to get stronger. And so I put on like 12 to 15 pounds my, my, that first year. And I put on another six or seven, eight pounds. And I got to where I was about, you know, right about six foot by 175. Yeah. And like you say, my game was totally different. Right. I take the physicality of the game. I could go to the rim and take the bump from the 6'8", 225 guy and hit the ground and pop right back up. Right. You no, know, so it's very, very important. Now, one thing I didn't do was, was take the nutrition right. um, serious like I should have. You know, I would either eat a Snicker bar or a payday right before <laughs> yeah. the game. You know right. what I mean? That's, I mean, all the way up through college. That's what I did. Yeah. A couple of hours for the game, I, my dad would always tell me you need to have something in your stomach before you play. I grabbed me a payday or a Snicker bar. That's that's, right. that's what I would eat. So, um, 
but now there are so many resources for players oh. to, to have, you know, so it's important for them to take a little time and do some research on that and uh, try to figure out what it is they need to eat and, and different ways for them to take care of their bodies. A hundred percent. I mean, here's a story for you. I never told this story. This will be the first one. And I'm sure oh, that uh, if, this, if this guy hears it, he's going to laugh uh, crazy. So he's still a buddy of mine. His name is Vincent Greer. Um, he played basketball at uh, University of Minnesota for a couple of years. So he was a junior college guy, ended up going to the U and playing a couple of years there. Lefty guy, ended up playing overseas and spent a little bit of time in the NBA, but was a very, very good Big Ten player. I'll never forget, um, remember, 6'4", 165 pounds, soaking wet. I mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking that I thought that I could go to the NBA right out of high school. That was just my point of view. That's how good I thought I was, right? And I'll never forget. I went up to the U of M uh, to just do a quick run. It was me and, and one of my other teammates who ended up playing for the University of Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, but we went up there to play with some of the U of M guys. And I remember I got out there and was feeling good. And I'm thinking, like, you know, the U of M missed out on me because they didn't really recruit me that hard. But it's okay. I'm going to go out here and bust some of these guys. And so we're playing, and I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm doing, playing pretty well. I'm feeling pretty high on myself. And I'll never forget Vincent. Uh, and he was, you know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, probably about 200, 210 at that moment in time. One of the best, better Big Big Ten players. I'm thinking, like, I'm sticking with this guy. He's not that good. I'll never forget. He he looked at me and he said, I'm not even I'm not even giving you 50% right now. If you want me to put put it on you like how like man basketball, I'll put it on you. And I'm like, you know what? It's nothing. That, you know. And what I tell you from that moment on until the rest of the time we played that five on five, if he didn't put it on me physically <laughs> and offensively and defensively, whatever you want, it made me feel like I was probably the smallest person on the court, the most minuscule person, and that I could not play the game of basketball. Uh, he made me realize that I was nowhere near where I wanted to be. I mean, it was the most disheartening thing ever, and I never told this story. But it was one of the motivating factors that I knew I needed to get stronger in the weight room because I literally, legitimately, in my head, as the same as it sounds, thought, like, I could play in the NBA. I'm athletic enough. I can shoot. I can do this. And then I went and played against a guy who was a good Big Ten basketball player, and I literally could not do anything when he tried. Yeah. And it put into perspective how far I was. And then, obviously, I, I got to college my freshman year, and they kicked my butt, and then it just it drove me down deeper and I had to realize like I got to get better and I got to get stronger but that's when I realized 6'4 165 pounds uh, college basketball is not going to work like you said it, it ain't going to work anymore because I was just as big as some of the post players in high school and now I'm facing you know guards and wings that are are that size and bigger and heavier I got to get I got to get, get stronger so it's a funny story I always remember that I, I tell that internally to friends but never outwardly because it's an embarrassing story but I'm sure if he heard that he'd appreciate it well, man, uh, I appreciate you uh, sharing sharing your, your knowledge with us and spending some time. Um, I got two quick bonus questions. This is just something for fun. Uh, yeah. I didn't send these to you because I didn't want you to have to think about it. So uh, you're putting together a team, and you're putting together five basketball players that you can select from any era, NBA, WNBA, NCAA, high school, phenoms, Whoever it is, dead or alive, you only get five. Who are you picking? 
So number one is always going to be Michael Jordan for me. I think that that's number one for a lot of people. I was in a generation, the era where he was winning championships and he was, you know, the man, I think. Yeah. So for me, it always would start with Michael Jordan. Um, he's part of the reason why I ever even started playing basketball. And in me, I'll argue with anybody uh, to the end of time that he's the best of all time. So if you're not, <laughs> if you don't think he's the best of all time, you're going to have to call me back another time and we'll get into it. But I always start with Michael Jordan. Then I would go with LeBron James because I think that he is probably the second or arguably the best player to ever live the game. I think his IQ and how he plays and gets his teammates involved, um, everything that he's done on the court and outside of basketball, he would be a guy that I would like to play on that level. Um, one other person that I think is, is uh, people may find surprising it, that I would like to play with is actually Steve Kerr. Um, and part of the reason why Steve Kerr is because he – did not, I don't think, even back then when he played, and even nowadays, if you looked at Steve Kerr, you would look at him and never think in, in, in your wildest dreams that he would be an NBA player or have any type yeah. of success. Yeah. But if you actually watch, and there's not a lot of Steve Kerr highlights out there, but if you watch <laughs> Steve Kerr, he was actually the player that a lot of kids these days could be or they should be, right? He could shoot the basketball. He could make a one-dribble pull-up. He had high IQ. He was a better defender than people thought. He didn't fit the mold of what a typical NBA player looked like at that time. It sure as the heck not nowadays. No. But he could do things, and he, he just was an incredible role player. And so for me, I saw a lot of myself initially when I was younger in him, and he was always a guy that I thought was like a perfect role player on teams because he was a good guy as well. So I would add him uh, to that. Now, my fourth person that I would pick would be an up-and-newcomer. It would be Zion Williamson surely because I've never seen a human being do what he does on the basketball court. You've heard that a billion times, but like legitimately I've seen him play in person and then obviously on TV and what he's done as of recently, it's absurd. I would just like to just be there all the time to see what he does as a basketball player, like un unbelievable stuff. Um, and then I think the last person would be uh, Will Chamberlain, obviously before my time, but just to, to hear – who he was as a basketball player um, on the court, off the court, what he's able to accomplish, you know, while he was playing. I would be just more interested in, in him as even a, a human being. Obviously, his talents speak for themselves, but it would be cool to see what basketball was like for him during that period of time or hear his point of view of basketball. And so with the combination of those five, I think it would be not only a really, really good basketball team, but an interesting one. And, and I'm always a – I want to be a savant of the game, so I want to learn. Um, and I'm always curious about the game. And so I think that all those people's, um, you know, personalities uh, would be really cool to be around. Yeah, that's a, that's a great group. And, and, yeah, you caught me off guard with the Steve Kerr. I never, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that one. Um, but the last little bonus question is, you know, skill development has really changed over the years. Is players train now uh, completely different than they did when, when – I'm a little older than you. I'm, I'm 40. So back when, even when I was in school and even into the, the 70s and the 80s and 70s and the 60s, they trained completely different. If you could, again, pick any player, uh, if you would say that this is one player I would have loved to get in the gym and work with, whether it's you felt like you can add something from them, uh, add something to them, or maybe you can add something and learn from them. Is there a player that's, that's that's intrigued you that you'd be like, man, I wonder what it would be like to get in the gym with this particular player and, and work with them. 
Yeah, definitely. I right off the top of my head, Scotty Pippen. Um, and the reason why I say Scotty Pippen is, is is he's a he's obviously one of the greatest of all time, a top fifty player. He played alongside one of the best players in, in the NBA, and at times was the best player on his team um, and, and whatnot. I do think that Scotty Pippen had. Uh, especially for his time, he had some of the most unique traits athletically as a player. His ability to be, you know, 6'9 plus with long wingspan, huge hands, run like a gazelle. There's still a lot of players that are not like even him in the right. NBA today. Right. And so his, athlete, his sheer athletic ability and even the skills that he had when he played in the NBA we don't, we don't even see some of that still in the NBA today. But I do think that, um, you know, because of Scotty's journey all the way to where he was and the fact that he played with Michael Jordan, I think that in some capacities he limited himself or he took on the role that he should have to win championships, and he did what he had to do. But I really do think that if he played, you know, outside of Michael Jordan and his mentality of being a number one player, and he, you know, would have, um, you know, enhanced his skills a little bit more you know he could have arguably because of his physical traits be maybe a top five player of all time and that's my opinion if you go look at Scottie Pippen's highlights on offense and on defense he 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 resembles similarly a taller Kawhi Leonard okay and Kawhi Leonard to some degree if he continues on the path that he is right now will be considered one of the best players to play both sides of the of the floor of all time and I think Scottie Pippen's always in that discussion too. If if you remember him, you've seen him play. But I do think that if you know if the NBA was what it was today, and Scottie had a little bit more skill development, shot was a little bit better. Maybe his individual handle was a little bit better, paired with all of his athletic abilities and his length and his. I mean, you do. I really think that he could have potentially been. For sure, a top ten, top five player all time in the NBA. He's always going to be considered one of the greats, but you know because of timing and who he played with, and you know the era and all that type of stuff, it, it worked out differently. But I would have loved to not only coach him but play with him um, and just see some of the things that he was able to do on the basketball court. Yeah, that reference with with Kawhi is something I never I've never really thought about before. I know when LeBron got into the league, uh, I always thought of him as a Scotty Pippen 2.0, you know, yeah. um, handles the ball, make good plays, make good decisions. Uh, but yeah, you know, I don't, LeBron is not the defensive player that, that right. Scotty was by any stretch, but, yeah. you know, just the things that they could do offensively. Uh, well, man, again, I appreciate you coming on here. Um, I kept you longer than, than I told you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good. You know what? Sometimes good conversation calls for that. And, and I love talking yeah. basketball with people that are knowledgeable and that have a passion for the game and, and that want to spread good knowledge and that are doing good things. So I'm always uh, more than happy to dedicate my time to, to something that's definitely worthwhile. So why don't you let everybody how they can contact you, um, give them your social media and uh, anything that you want to plug or, or let people know that you got going on. Feel free to, to let everybody know. Yeah, definitely. So you can follow me personally on, on my Instagram or Twitter uh, at JeffersonMason4. Uh, but most importantly, please go follow uh, at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, check out our YouTube page, Dr. Dish Basketball. We have a billion and one different drills, not only from myself, but from other really good trainers. Um, also, 
we partnered with some of the best colleges uh, in the country, and we have a lot of cool team drills on our website, on our YouTube, on our social media. So if you ever have any questions on what you can do on the individual small group or team level, check out those pages for more knowledge. And then also, um, if you're ever in, in the market for a shooting machine, whether you're a trainer or a coach or a parent, a college coach, uh, check us out. I mean, we have the best product on the market right now. It's, it's blowing up and going crazy. And um, I'm a, obviously, I work here, but I'm a big fan of it just from the basketball side of things. So uh, check us out if you have time. Uh, otherwise, I definitely appreciate you having me on. All right, so that was an interview I did with Jefferson Mason. Y'all be sure to follow him and Dr. Dish on all social media, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Dr. Dish put out some great content. Uh, I know they're always sending stuff out through their newsletter. They put out plenty of stuff on Instagram. Uh, Jefferson also is part of that content, so he's constantly putting out stuff. So y'all be sure to follow them. You can always pick up something. You know, you we don't always use different uh, different resources to be able to continue to learn and grow and to develop your craft. So y'all be sure to follow them. Uh, also, I need you to follow me too. Uh, <laughs> um, I am on Twitter and on Instagram. And my Twitter and Instagram handle is at NBNBball. That's at NBNBball. Uh, be sure to follow me on social media. We also have a Facebook page, NBN Basketball. Um, my website, you can find me on, on my, on my website, T Jones firm, T J O N E S firm.com. Uh, if you want to email me something, then my email address is info at T Jones firm.com. Um, let's see what else is there. Uh, oh, my book, my book, be sure uh, to go check out my book It's 10 chapters. Um, but is strictly on skill development and there are no drills in the book, but it gives you insight on what it takes to put together a skill development program, whether you're a skills coach, a parent, a player, it gives you some things to think about and understand like, you know, how you should go about finding drills. When you go to YouTube and look for drills, there are certain things that you should look for and try to understand instead of just selecting any old drill out of the hat to put in your to put in your plan. They also talk about how to put together a plan, um, how to how to give and receive feedback. So a lot of information It's a lot more to skill development than just drills. There's a lot more to it than just finding a drill and putting a drill out there. Um, so it's a really good book. You can find it on Amazon. If you type in skill development playbook, uh, it will pop up. Uh, you can get the paperback version for $9.99 or you can get the uh, Kindle version for $3.99. The book is also available on my website. If you go to tjonesfirm.com forward slash SDP hyphen book, all the information is on there. And I've got some testimonials from some really good coaches, Division One coaches, USA um, basketball coaches. Uh, NBA coaches, and, and they can tell you what they think about the book. So go to my website, check that out. You can buy it directly from me on my website. It's $9.99 for the paperback, and it's $3.95 for the PDF version. So that is all I have. Um, be looking for our podcast next week. 
Oh, and one more thing before I let you go. Make sure that you follow me. Uh, or I'm sorry, not follow me, but subscribe. Be sure to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, doesn't matter if it's Stitcher. Doesn't matter if it's, if it's Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe. Also, I would really, really, really appreciate a five-star rating. And be sure to tell your friends, your coaches, your, your, your players, anybody that's interested in basketball and want to learn more about skill development because – it's, to my understanding, this is the only podcast that strictly focuses on skill development. We don't talk about plays. We don't talk about defenses. We talk about skill development and how to develop a player. So this is the this is the podcast to listen to. So anybody that you know is interested in skill development, send them our way. Let them know about this. Um, and I will really, really appreciate it. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating. All right, so that is it. Until next time, thank y'all and God bless.